The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In just a few short months, a group from Holy Trinity will be going to Houston, Texas for the ELCA's Youth Gathering. It's an event that happens only once every three years, where more than 30,000 youth and their adult leaders come together for worship and service and learning. And besides that, it's just a whole lot of fun. Now, one of the expectations is that each group creates a covenant not a list of rules that's handed down from the adults, but a covenant that's developed together and mutually agreed upon. This covenant includes a purpose statement, guidelines about behavior, expectations for dress code and gratuities. It's also expected that each covenant will clearly state what the consequences are if the covenant is broken. Now marriage is another type of covenant, at the beginning of the wedding, the pastor says, The scriptures teach us that the bond and covenant of marriage is a gift from God, a holy mystery in which two become one. The two stand together in the presence of family and friends and promise to love, honor, and cherish until death do us part. It's a promise that is meant to last a lifetime. But we know all too well that sometimes these covenants 
are broken too. So what exactly is a covenant? It's an agreement made between two parties. It's a promise that is irreversible. I once heard someone declare that people cannot make covenants. Only God can do that. Because God is the only one who makes promises that won't be broken. Now there are many stories in the Hebrew scriptures when God makes a covenant with the people. From Noah and the rainbow after the great flood, to Abraham and Sarah and the blessing of their many descendants, to Moses and the Ten Commandments at the foot of Mount Sinai. But in this week's First Testament reading, the prophet Jeremiah speaks of a covenant not written, written not in a rainbow or on stone tablets, but written deep inside on the very hearts of the people. For the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, and I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. God makes a promise to be in relationship with the people, to abide with them, to show compassion and love and forgive them, even though they broke the covenant God made with them previously. And this time, the covenant will not be written on stones. It'll be written on their hearts. During this season of Lent, we've heard five different covenant stories, all of them from the Hebrew scriptures. And each one is a promise from God to be in relationship with Israel. And each one is full of grace. Isn't it interesting how often we contrast the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New? The God of the Old Testament, we say, is thought of as harsh and punishing and angry. But the New Testament God is kind and gentle and loving. But it is simply not true. There is one God throughout all of Scripture that has great love and compassion for the people. When Jesus was teaching and preaching, he did so to the people of the covenant, the people of Israel. He lived with and lived among the Jewish people who had received the covenants in rainbows and on stones and written on their hearts. In the gospel reading from today, John, or sorry, in the gospel reading today from John, the Jewish people were gathering for the Passover festival. But there were also some Gentiles. That's a word that's used to describe people who are not Jewish. These Gentiles came as well. And even though they're not people of the covenant, they came to Philip and said, we wish to see Jesus. The gospel doesn't tell us how many Gentiles came asking or why they were interested in Jesus. Do they want to be part of the covenant too? Are they curious about his message and his parables? Are they hoping to see Jesus walk on water or heal someone who's blind? There's no way to know. But they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. On its face value, it's such a simple request, but it cuts to the very heart of so many kinds of spiritual growth. Theologian Debbie Thomas writes, When I look at my own life, I can recognize the Gentiles' request. I know what it's like to want to see Jesus in earnest, to want his presence, his guidance, his example, and his companionship. 
And I also know what it's like to not want him, to want not him, but things from him, like safety, health, immunity, ease. And finally, I know what it's like not to want him at all, what it feels like to shelve all spiritual desire and allow my faith to fade into the background of my life. I cycle endlessly between these three. My heart for Jesus expands and constricts. My desire to see him waxes and wanes, and my motives for seeking him grow purer and coarser by turns. As we wrap up the season of Lent and move toward Holy Week and Easter, do we want to see Jesus? Maybe we want to see Jesus, but how? Are we looking for a healer, a teacher, a peacemaker? Or does seeing Jesus seem impossible right now? We are invited to see Jesus in many and various ways, especially now during Holy Week. On Palm Sunday, we see him riding in on a donkey, surrounded by shouts of praise, and we join in the celebration singing, Hosanna in the highest, waving our palm branches high in the air. And as we are drawn into the three days, we do more than see Jesus. All of our senses are ignited. On Monday, Thursday, we'll bow down in vulnerability and service to wash the feet of another and let someone else do the same for us, just as Jesus did for his disciples. Then we will break bread together and taste and see the goodness of God revealed in Jesus. On Good Friday, we'll hear the story of his passion and touch the cross or bow down before it. And then, on Saturday, at the great vigil of Easter, gathered around a fire and the light of candles in this place, we'll hear stories of God's faithfulness throughout the generations. Until finally, the great Paschal mystery, Christ dying and rising, is revealed. You see, the center and heart of who Jesus is, is revealed on the cross. We do not have to strive and strain to see him. He draws and gathers all people, all things, the entire cosmos, to himself. And a new covenant between God and the people is revealed. The previous covenants are not null and void. They are still promises that the Holy One keeps. Yet this new covenant, revealed through Christ dying and rising, is for the whole world. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus draws us more deeply into the promises and love from the one eternal God so that we can more fully love and serve those around us. Amen.